What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to the JK Will Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. Got a great one in store for you. This is a weekly podcast coming at you. And uh, if you want to help support it, you can hit the subscribe button on iTunes as well as rate and review. Say a few nice words, give it five stars, and that will help shoot the podcast into the top of the iTunes charts and helping more people find it on a regular basis and giving it overall some more national visibility for all the artists that come onto the show. So that will help get them more exposure as well as the podcast. So check that out. Leave a review. It means a lot. I appreciate it. It'd be a great gift of the holidays if you haven't left one yet. And um, also you can hit the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel. Hit subscribe on that and then you'll know when new videos are uh, popping into your feed and whatnot. Uh, we got kind of a longer episode, maybe the longest ever. So I kind of want to I want to keep the intro short. But uh, I do need to mention that there are two very important calendar dates coming up. One of those is December 16th. Alberta Street Pub, the second annual Dan Cable Presents Holidays Party. It's going down with some aliens, Maxwell Cabana, and the Pariahs. It's going to be dope. I am quite excited, and I would love to see as many of you down there as possible, especially you people out there that love hip-hop and you people that love R&B. But um, I don't know. This is just a, a cool night. Uh cool end of the year celebration of sorts and uh, a celebration of another year of uh, the Dan Cable Presents productions. So happy to be bringing it home there at the Alberta Street Pub, one of my favorite venues in town. So come check it out. It's $10. I am expecting that we get to capacity. So if you if you do want to see that show, maybe, maybe show up early. That'd be a good idea. Not earlier than nine, but just get there by nine get there get there when the when the show starts because if you get there at 10 or 10 30 you might not be able to get in and that's going to be a bummer anyway december 16th get on that it's gonna be dope and then december 19th super stoked to be a uh, a sponsor for a benefit show going on at the doug fur the benefit to uh help out those who have fallen on hard times to uh have a home so you know, building homes for the less fortunate. Very cool benefit going down. Doug Fur, December 19th. Killer Bill with Camp Crush. My, my friends, my fam, Camp Crush. The Get Ahead and Foxy Lemon. Foxy Lemon's real good. It's uh, it's quite good. So that's, that's another killer show. So please come out to those. It's going to be uh, two very cool shows within a few days of each other. So... Those are the dates. That's what I have to say about that. And now we're going to get into episode 88. Episode 88. Um, this one was a, a true pleasure. It was awesome to hang out with Aaron Ross. He is um, he is a comedic mind. 
he uh, he does quite a bit, and he's uh, he's tried out many things and, and really explored comedy. And uh, currently, he is the the host of Who's the Ross, which is a weekly late night show at Dante's every Tuesday night. It's only three dollars to get in. It's a very cool experience. If you're looking for something out of the ordinary to do with your Tuesday night, go check that out. Dante's nine o'clock. Uh, running through February, so you can go any Tuesday. Just, just go down there. It's very cool. And uh, also, he is a, uh, a creator and writer on uh, Training Wheels, which is which is a uh, a web series, a sitcom that he and his uh, his partner Jordan uh, came together to create. Uh, very awesome. It's nine episodes. The second season just came out uh, a couple weeks ago or so, and uh, it's pretty sweet. It's especially cool for uh, anybody that is familiar with the Portland area or lives in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Just a lot of cool little nuggets with uh, local bands and local music as the the soundtrack to the show and some cool cameos from uh, comedians around town and whatnot. So Training Wheels, you can find that on YouTube. Check that out as well as the videos that he has up from his one-man show that he put on. It's uh, it's called Al Gore's Memorial High School. There's some very cool like sketch video clips there of some different characters. Aaron played 12 different characters in this uh, Al Gore Memorial High School one-man show, and uh, he has the videos up there from some of it some some very cool characters and uh yeah we talk about all this stuff in the podcast and we also just kind of drift off talking about other things like the new jim carrey documentary on the making of man on the moon the uh, andy kaufman story so we just kind of go all over the place um aaron is uh, a true hustler and uh, it's very inspiring to get to hang out with somebody that has so much drive uh, to kind of follow out his passion. And uh, I, I'm super stoked that I got to talk with him and, and kind of pick his brain about his process and, and just kind of uh, just pursuing his thing. And so go check something out that Aaron's doing. He's He's doing all kinds of stuff. And... He's doesn't look like he plans on on stopping producing stuff. So just stay tuned for for whatever he's got coming at you next. Uh, we talked a little bit about the one man show, and that sounds like it's going to come back, which uh, would be amazing. I was very blown away by that, and we kind of get into a lot of the details surrounding that. So Aaron Ross is on the show. Aaron Ross is on the podcast. So super cool, super pumped. Um, this is primarily a music podcast, and I am I'm very excited to to branch off into the the comedy world here. And I hope this leads to speaking with other uh, comedians in the city as well as um, other visual artists and whatnot. And so I hope this is just kind of the the first of many of these. Uh, one thing that I really dig about podcasts and why I kind of got into this form of media and is is i really dig how um things a lot of times just become a conversation and i think having 
Aaron just seemed to kind of get that right right from the get-go. So he was he was also asking me questions and whatnot. So it very much just became a, a very cool conversation. So I appreciated I appreciated the hang. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, since this is primarily a music podcast, we're going to kick it off with some music like we normally do. And uh, we're going to kick it off with a track off of uh, the Sheesh EP from uh, Mike Capes and Dre Slaps. I had Mike Capes and, uh, and Dre Slaps on the podcast. Oh, man. Maybe episode 21, somewhere around there. It was many moons ago. It was like a year and a half ago. And I've had the opportunity to catch up with Mike on a, a number of occasions since. And I got to interview him at Pickathon, which was cool. And those should be coming out over the next few months. So stay tuned for that. But um, this was a, uh, a project that, that him and Dre Slaps dropped over the summer. And they just had their release show for it, which was amazing. Mike had the flu and he still brought the fire. And that was that was very impressive to see him overcome that. Because you you could tell he was he was hurting, but he still brought all of the energy, and it was a very amazing performance. And uh, this is a dude that that I know that Aaron Aaron appreciates quite a bit, and myself as well. So uh, we're gonna kick it off with something off the Sheesh EP. This is a tune called Well Known. This is Mike Capes and Dre Slaps. Let's get into it. Slaps. Who that? Dre Slaps. Northside nigga, yeah, I'm well known. Well, they gon' write real nigga on my headstone. Bet I die and be a legend to the motherfucking kids. They gon' paint a nigga face on the St. John's Bridge. Hey, Northside nigga, yeah, I'm well known. Well known. Yeah, I'm well known. Well known. Northside nigga, yeah, I'm well known. Yeah, that was my residence, banging and dealing, yeah, that was the element I let that settle in, scheming and meddling Yeah, we was broke, broke as a joke, but we found the medicine Jacking and stealing some of us called felonies I had a vision of rapping on melodies I need it all, yeah, I need it all for local celebrity I want a ball, yeah, I want a ball, bro, we need the recipe I need the carrots, yeah, I need the celery Fuck is you telling me living was hard But I never fall, I'm building my legacy Bitch, I been leveling up I never settle for less I just lay up in the cuts After they cut me the check But it's about more than the bucks My city coming for next I'm at that jungle of fuckers a threat I got my numbers of suckers is pressed Thought I'd be dead Glory to God, nigga, I'm blessed Yeah, side, nigga, yeah, I'm well known They gon' write real nigga on my headstone Then I die and be a legend to the Fucking kids, they gon' paint a nigga face on the St. John's Bridge. Hey, Northside nigga, yeah, I'm well known. Well known. Yeah, I'm well known. Well known. Northside nigga, yeah, I'm well known. They gon' write real nigga on my headstone. My city, you fuck with me. They know I'm the one. They know I'm the one. Let homies look up to me. They know I'm sucker free. Aiming for luxury. 
I move that dope, yeah, I move that dope But I never touch it, keep give me the rock And I hit the shot, yeah, they gotta double me They cannot fuck with me, niggas be all in their feelings and hearts I keep it real with the art, gaining momentum on charts They spit with minimal heart, I rip these niggas apart These niggas swimming with sharks in the deep end Better duck for you see fins, paddle hard with the bars See my marks, see my teeth in, think for you leap in I never ride on no wave, I be controlling the current I just get up on the stage, I grab the mic and I burn it Worst me with the furnace for a ton, spit murder from my lungs. Why encouraging the young nigga? Uh, got a nervous about the buzz on the surface, showing love, but the serpent in they blood, my nigga. Northside nigga, yeah I'm well known. They gon' write real nigga on my headstone. Bet I die and be a legend to the motherfucking kids. They gon' paint a nigga face on the St. John's Bridge. Hey, Northside nigga, yeah I'm well known. All right, Aaron Ross. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for coming. Dan came to my apartment. We're in our community room, and and you're flipping the script on me. I'm used to interviewing people. Now you are in control. Yeah, we were just talking about that. I am. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on the show because you are the first non-either music artist or music industry person. And oh wow, I have really wanted to kind of branch out. And, and start talking to some local comedians and, and other artists. Well, I'm, I'm flattered. So I'm stoked to have you because I you. definitely grew up a pretty big comedy nerd, I would mm. say. And I love stand-up and, and sketch comedy. And man, who's your favorite stand-up? Oh, oh man. I would say favorite... St- I, I know mine, but uh, you go first. Okay. Oh, that's rough. I would Here's, say... Go I ahead. mean, it's hard not... For me to not pick Chappelle, just because I feel like he was the first one to have like that huge impact where I was just reciting those lines from those first like that first HBO special that he dropped. Is that with the baby? Is that the is that the baby? Yeah, yeah, the baby. <laughs> the the yeah. whole Sesame Street bit. It's that damn about- baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing out here, baby? <laughs> uh, this is this is mine. I found this in a box of photos today. I don't know if you know who this this is. This is my favorite stand-up comedian. This picture is circa 03. Who is that? It's Mitch Hedberg. That's Mitch. It's Mitch Hedberg. Oh, wow. It's Giggles. Oh, man. Giggles in Seattle. And uh, I got a great story about it anytime you want. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Might as well just jump into that. Well, a friend of mine had given me his CD, burned CD in like 2000. I was 18. Yeah. Strategic Grill Mark locations. And if you have not listened to it as a human being... You're making a mistake because I don't. Th- I think few people have made as interesting of of a of a comedy record as Mitch Hedberg did. A stand-up bass accompanied by his peculiar one-liners and non sequiturs and what made Mitch Mitch. And um, so I'd been a fan for a long time. By the time I was 21, I saw he was playing in Seattle, and I went with a group of friends. You know, like so comedy clubs. It was like bar status, yeah. and uh, we got there early. 
front row dead center, you know, and like 250 people there packed, you know, do the doubleheader show, the seven and the, the seven thirty and the 10 or yeah. however it was there. And, and, uh, and I mean, I was like, I was like Jack or Rose in Titanic, like front ship, you know, arms, arms wide open, like <laughs> stay like king of the world. Here is my idol in front of me. And I was just, I was giddy the whole night. And he just crushed. I mean, he was on point. And I saw him play five times. That was the first. And the first was the best. He was just so sharp. Um, and to stay sharp, he said to the audience, he'd had, oh, this was the, the wildest thing. He would say on his record stuff like, oh, gosh, he'd say, um, painted a, an audience laughing on the back of my eyelids or something. He'd have these allusions to, you know, why he had his hair long and his glasses, sunglasses on. And the, the reason was he had like a cri- crippling anxiety and he didn't open his eyes for an hour. He would do jokes with his eyes closed and his head's down and his bangs over and the, the sunglasses and no one knew. But being front and center seat, I could see up because he's raised on the stage just a little bit. It's a, it's a small comedy club. I can see up into the closed eyes. Like I was getting the supreme reality of his set. And what, what clued me in more to the fact that he had his eyes closed was a cocktail waitress would come by with a cocktail twice during the first show. And she would stand there waiting for sort of a cue like him to grab it. And he would never grab it. She'd just wait for like 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> like okay, he's going to get done with this joke and he'll slide over to me. What she didn't understand was his eyes were closed. So she would just put the, 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 the drinks, the cocktails down on the stage. They did that two times. There were two drinks on the side stage. He had one on a stool. It was clear. I thought it was water. So he says at the end of the set, he says, uh, uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't get to drink this drink. You know, it must be so lonely, but I got another show. Who wants to come up here and enjoy some of this vodka with me? And I, I you know, like I said, I didn't kind of know it was like just a glass of vodka until I started drinking. And I'll get, so, so he says this, and I pause for a moment, because I'm nervous in general, but at the prospect that I could be up there. I feel like I got a leg up, I'm, I'm front and center. I look behind me, no one makes a noise. And I go, Aah! as I raise my hand, my legs just put me on the stage. I didn't really ask for permission. I just knew no one else made noise, and there I was. And I'm standing, this photo I just showed you on my phone is me with like uh, cargo khakis. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know, right? So it's like 2003. Yeah. So I had big khakis, and they're like 18 different types of pockets on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. That's how we it. rolled. That's yeah. how it was, man. And so I'm there, and I can't believe it. I'm standing next to my idol. And he says, uh, he says uh, hey, what's your name? I said, Aaron. You know, and he goes, good thing it's not Belvedere. That would be weird because you'd be drinking yourself. <laughs> Which is like, I didn't even get it, right? Because like, clearly I didn't know about high class vodka. Yeah. So he hands me the glass and he says, I'm going to do one more joke and then we'll drink. So now I'm like on stage like petrified and in my head going, oh, how, what do I do now? Do I, how much of this do I drink? It's like a pint glass. I, I was like, uh, well, well, I shouldn't drink too much because it's his drink and I should be gracious. But I, I don't want to seem like a punk, like lame, you know, because like, what, 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 if, what if I have a sip and he's like, what, you know, you're, you know, what are you, what are you, your child? And then, and then I'm, now I'm the final punchline and I'm just like, oh, so maybe I should drink more and I don't know what to do and I'm freaking out. I think he's telling the race car joke about Tide and he gets a big laugh and he goes, cheers. And I just start drinking, and I just knock back like three inches of vodka. I mean, and, 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 and I had a, 
a baby liver. You know, like I didn't really yeah. know what I was doing. And, and I also didn't know it was straight vodka. And so <laughs> I start coughing and, I, and, and it starts coming out my nose. And his eyes are still closed. He goes, oh, what's wrong? And I said, I, the vodka's <laughs> coming out my nose. He goes, your nose must be fucked up. All right. And so I pass the glass to him. He looks down at the glass. He looks up at me, and I think, oh, my gosh. I drank most of the vodka. Here, I'm going to be the final punchline. I'm an ingrate. He looks back at the glass. He just looks up with a smile. Eyes open, first time in the night, and just goes, all right. Knocks the last sip back and, you know, toasts me and gives me a hug, and then that was it. And I was, I was on a vodka cloud nine the rest of the night. That's, that's fucking amazing, yeah. dude. That's, that's legendary. That was the first comedy show I'd ever been to. I'd never, because I, I literally, it was like, it was either my birthday or like days after my 21st birthday. So there I finally was. And Seeing the master of one-liners. The master the of one-liners. just so and witty. everything he said to me about this vodka, I'll never, I'll never forget it. And, and I found those photos today from like a disposable camera in 03. So. Oh, that's beautiful, man. That was, yeah. What, what would you say your, your first exposure to comedy was? Um, I feel like it's Saturday Night Live. I feel like the first exposure was that i would say it's probably like 92 is everything that that everything hits at 92 for me music you know never mind the chronic and uh dana carvey doing george bush and ross perot on saturday Night live that's right. the start for me I think we're probably around the same same age. Yeah, then. I notice I haven't dropped that yet, but anyone can do the math during this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they haven't also had too much of Mitch's vodka. <laughs> uh, where'd you grow up? Here. In Portland. Here. I'm from here. Fucking unicorn. I'm a unicorn. I'm the poor Zingus. <laughs> I'm the zinger for, for all the basketball heads of, of Portland. You know, I went to Capitol Hill Elementary School in Southwest, Jackson Middle School, formerly Markham High School, Wilson High School, Portland State University. You can't get rid of me. And, and as a kid growing up, were you, were you always a performer type or, or drawn to I was drawn entertainment? to mischief, volume, as in loud, and getting in trouble, attention. But I didn't do any of the performer things. I, the only, I loved sports, and I was you know, a slow white guy, like, <laughs> to kind of a T. Even to this day, playing hoops, like, people will be surprised that I'm good at, 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 at playing ball. But it's Larry Bird every time, which is a fair, a fair yeah. take because I shoot threes. You're shooting. I'm slow. I'm white, but surprisingly crafty. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I didn't. I didn't act. I didn't. I didn't do any of those sort of things. Um, but I, I, I goofed off better than most. But I think I was like voted third in our class clown at Wilson, which really broke my heart. And and to <laughs> this, but I feel like I feel like I've come up. You know. I, I have my own comedy show. I've, I've made a living doing it for a decade. That's okay. Yeah, no, yeah. that's, that's but very But I am still cool. in Portland, so. Is it, uh, since you are still here in Portland, is, is it wild to maybe run into some of those folks that you went to school with for them to, like, see what you've, you've done since, I since high school? I haven't seen, so they started, I would get the run-ins right when I started. I remember Kyle Kime said to me at a party when I was, like, 20. I had just done improv for, like, a year. He goes, hey, I heard you're doing comedy. You're doing improv. That's perfect. You know, I always thought you'd be a comedian. I go, really? Because, like, you made me laugh, Kyle. He goes, yeah, but, like, 
I was just high on mushrooms for the last two years. <laughs> and then that blew my mind, and I realized how naive I was about high school that I had no clue that this dude was hilarious and silly because he was on mushrooms at 16. <laughs> um, so I would get that a decent amount. I, high school reunion, uh, I got some of that. But I haven't seen most of... I mean, in their, your 30s, most people have families, so I haven't yeah, seen yeah, them they're, they're So doing- like. They're doing some real shit. They're doing real <laughs> shit where I'm, I've double tripled down on the not real shit. Yeah, I feel you, man. Yeah. Right there. We're, we're, we're doing that. The same <laughs> doing the thing. Pay. And I'm happy doing that. Very. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think your, your ambition to me is very telling of that. I may be more ambitious than funny, but I feel like every year I keep the same amount of ambition and get a little bit funnier and wiser. So it's, 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 it's working out. That's cool, man. Yeah. What? What do you think fuels all of that? Oh, man. I mean, like, on a psychology level, attention, probably dad. But um, what continues to fuel it? A love for it. I love creating. You know, and I think, I think that I'm one of the people that could just say they're an entertainer. You know, and you can, if you want to insert that, you know, ice cream truck song now and do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> because... because I've done all the different styles of comedy. You know, I've done lots of improv and sketch and stand-up. I am a late-night talk show host. That, to me, is 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 the niche. Um, but I'm also an actor, you know, and uh, a host. And I like to produce. I like to write. I like to direct. And I just think I just like making things that that I think I'd like. So I take those projects on that we'll surely talk about because now it's all vague. People are like, I liked his Mitch Hedberg story. What are we doing now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just like doing it. That fuel, The fuel is, is like, it's just, I don't know. It just happens. It's, just not, it's nonstop. Yeah. Would, did a lot of that, did you get a huge burst of that after seeing that, that Mitch Hedberg performance? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I had started doing stand-up at 21 simply because I knew I could get into bars. I'd done improv for two years. No, no, I mean, maybe just like a year. Um, the biggest revelation comedy career for me was long form improv. So anyone out there that's an improv nerd that went to the theatrical side of it knows what that is. And, and what it is, is the short form is the first thing they teach you where you're doing like whose line is it anyways style yeah. of things. You know, you're really going for the punchline. And I took it, the second, uh, improv course I took at, at PSU, my junior year was long form. It was a Brody instructor named Nate Holleran, um, and he just he just changed my life. Like the idea that you could create theater and like sitcoms in f- off of a suggestion were like on the spot, and that there was a formula for that, and that you could play a dozen characters in a half an hour and just continue making things up has been what is is my favorite, and is I've tried to put that vibe into almost everything I've done. Yeah, just that whole yes and. Super yes and um, being in the moment, you know, and all the biggest laughs, whether it's at a talk show, the one-man show I just did, or even on film, they're always, they're always unexpected. They're always in the moment. You know, it's always the best. You can write great stuff, but the best things are always about the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's the, that, I think that it usually transfers over to recording music a lot of the time, too, is uh, you always try to, like, recreate this demo that you oh made. Oh my God, for sure. But it was always like the, the energy of that first demo that you just happened to turn your phone on, your phone recorder on. Like there, there always seems to be a magic energy in that. And I then, think it's harder in, for me, it's harder in music. I've been drumming the past couple of years. I play on weekends with friends and it, it's always the same. 
we always, if you nail some jam thing and it's amazing and you go back and try again, it, it never, it never hits. I'm sure the best can find that, you know, because they're the best, but I can't. In comedy, that is certainly the case, but I always feel like you can always, those, those moments, and comedians all know them, where you get that first laugh off a riff or an ad lib or something improvised, you always put it in your tool belt. And then it's just in material that just keeps getting better. And you just keep having these peppered in things. I don't think music can be that way. You can't have a song where you keep peppering in that great moment. Otherwise, you'd, they'd all be Mars Volta tracks or something. <laughs> um, yeah, can you verbalize it all that, that high and that, that feeling that you get when you absolutely like have a crowd just roaring? And, no, and it, I can't. I don't think anyone can. I can't. The feeling is as close to outer body, so I guess I'm verbalizing that. I think when you're truly crushing it, you're in the moment. Yeah. You're in the moment. Sometimes you can feel the moment and you can wink to someone about the moment, but you're better off not. You're better off like staying in it. Yeah, not acknowledging it, but just being... Yeah. You know it's there. I mean, it's, all, it's just contingent on what type of show you're doing. If I'm doing a talk show, you always know when the moments are. It's such a long-form thing. We play with Who's the Ross... Uh, my weekly late night talk show at Dante's Tuesdays, we, we play, uh, you just know that moment. Like it just hit, because it's it just, whether it's in an interview or a, a contest or a monologue joke. Uh, when I was doing the one man show where it's more than that, you just stay there, you know? You stay there and you keep going, you know? And something in the comedian's head knows they've pinched a nerve and it's just they subconsciously start moving towards, like, oh, that joke started hitting, you know? Yeah, you start feeling the vibe and everything. And, and that's, all, that's why lives the click to pick for me is I can feel that. I can feel the crowd. Even if they're silent, I know how they feel. And that moves me. That's also almost universally bad, but I know how to, to bob and weave and also not yeah. let them know that I maybe know. You got you to gotta learn how to read the crowd. Mm-hmm. So you got you to be able, be able to acknowledge what's happening. Yeah. That's... It's an amazing tool to like, like you're saying, like even when they're completely silent, like you know what they're feeling, you know, you anyway, know whether that silence is, oh, we're, we're really intrigued or like, oh, I'm, I'm bombing up here. And how can you manipulate that silence? I mean, and how can you be comfortable and not panic with the silence? That's just reps. It's just, that's just experience at a certain point. Yeah. Um, I guess I first found out about you just because of hearing about who's the Ross and, and probably just... You know, I know you have musical guests on quite often, and I think just running in similar circles of, of having those guests on my show as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's only really a couple of us that are interviewing musicians. So yeah, yeah. Um, when did you start doing Who's the Ross? Because I know you're you're over 700 episodes deep. Yeah. I think I what did I witness 736 or something like that the other night. Yeah, that sounds like a fair number. All right. Sounds actually <laughs> made up, but I but I'm gonna go with it. Um, so people, everyone should open a browser and go to who's the Ross.com while they're listening to this and it'll all start making sense. You know, don't, don't undercut Dan, don't play <laughs> videos, but just like look and read and go like, all right. And so as soon as this is done, bam, you can hit the ground running and, and see what a late night talk show is in the Rose city, you know, a Conan, a Colbert, a Kimmel here. That's what I do. Uh, and damn near as well as they do. I mean, I, I believe that I'm as, Good as any contemporary, and even with my idols, that I'm catching up quick. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm too reverent to, to like Dave. 
You know, everyone is. No one, everyone, no one would ever, which may be a, 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 which may be a, a little bit of a, a crutch for the, the performer because we should be like, I could be better than Dave. Yeah. Um, it always seems like the, the comedians, especially, bow. always just have such respect for Letterman. I'll say it. I can be better than Dave. In fact, I know I can be. I'm not now. I can <laughs> be. I, I want to go back on what I said. I believe I could be the greatest of all time in this genre. I genuinely do. So what, so what is it? How did it start? And why am I so uh, overly confident? Um, I've, been doing it, I've been doing a late night talk show, mostly in the Northwest, for 10 years. I did it for the first six years in character. People may have heard of the Ed Foreman show. They may have not liked the Ed Foreman show. I don't know. You know, I, I, but I played a boozy, polyester-clad uh, sort of lounge act that had been an inspirational speaker, a self-edsorbed educator of his own, you know, Edstream art. So here was a guy that believed that he was God's gift, but he's a drunk, and, a, a, and he's also of a bygone time. And I liked the idea of him hosting a talk show. So I'd had him from a one-man show I did called Al Gore Memorial High School. He did a 10-minute bit where he'd basically bring men up and teach them how to meet women or get a job that could also help them to meet women. It was all about women. And, uh, and it was, but the point was that he always looked better than the guys that he'd bring up because he was in control. <laughs> so then he could meet more women. It was really just to like not shame them, but just prove like if they could get 10% of his thing, like of his excellence, they would be in a better place. But he gets 10% every time. He's just more and more the man. And that was kind of like this insane bit. And then it just turned into a talk show for way longer than it needed to be. But I was given a platform. Dante's gave me a weekly show. And after almost four years of doing it here, I moved to LA and I believed in this wacko I was playing. And I, uh, and I had a good run in L.A., and, and that'll happen again. And, um, uh, but after a while, I was tired of having to be within the confines of the art that I liked, the late-night talk show, as this guy. So I, I moved him to the side, became, found myself. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Who's the Ross is, is really just it's, just, it's all still the same thing. It's the same car, I just painted it different. Yeah. You know, and it's still driving. For sure, just trying to keep trying to figure out how to keep it fresh and keep it fresh. Abandon the the character of Ed Foreman a little bit. Abandoning the character allowed me to be quicker, tighter. <laughs> I was already starting to do that, or rather, it was just more exhausting. I have to be a character, and I like like you do, like you do. I like interviewing people, and he could get in the way. Yeah, and kind of just painting yourself into a corner with with that character a little bit. Yeah. When when you were doing the Ed Foreman shit, did were the guests aware that Ed was a bit? The first while, no, because I, I was a nobody. I was 25. That's awesome. And a lot of people, my, own, my girlfriend now says that when she met me and I was emceeing Sinferno at Dante, she didn't know for years. There, were, there would be many people that didn't know. There are probably still people that don't know. Um, I just was so into Sasha Baron Cohen and, you know, right? Like, what Borat comes out in 06. Dude, that yeah. I do that show in 08. That's that just type a, of comedy is is amazing. It's amazing. And it has a time and place and it really isn't a now thing. It's very not now. So it was good to drop Ed and I think that that I coming after the peak um maybe Foreman was confusing to some people. There's like a weird cult thing to it and reverence. You were at the one-man show. I brought him out live. Oh, yeah. right? No, you weren't at the last one. I was not at the last one. I did him live. We can come back to that later, but I did yeah. him live to open it as a yeah. cold open. 
and he got a standing ovation. And I was just like, why? <laughs> of course, I kept pulling a note card out of my pocket when I would say, uh, you know, uh, thanks for coming down here to Algo Memorial High School starring. And I'd open the card. Aaron Ross. And I, I liked him not knowing who I was and sort of pushing me to the side as he had his couple minutes back. But people, people love it. So, so um, yeah, getting, getting back to the, the point, doing Who's the Ross um, was just about being better at, at actually just being a late-night talk show host. Um, and the character stuff doesn't go away. You know, that skill set's there. Yeah. That's why I brought back the one-man show that you got to come to. Was, was that all, was Who's the Ross heavily influenced by you just growing up watching a lot of late-night mm -hmm. TV as well? Conan O'Brien's the biggest influence because yeah. it was the most consistent I mean, and relevant, to, and relevant to our time. To our time. I mean, being in middle school and high school and watching him, middle school, high school, college, like that whole period, you know, from probably 93 to like, oh man, I mean, forever. I mean, until he was out at The Tonight Show, there's, that's probably 15 years of like some pretty wild loyalty. Yeah, and dude. we've all had that. Conan was the best, man. And this he still is. is. He's, he's a lot of credit to him for continuing to evolve with the craft and how he is interested in it. His remote specials where he goes to other countries is, is one of the best things late night has done. Um, and it's really cool. I and mean, there's he, always driving the desk. Driving the desk. <laughs> I mean, and the absurd characters, all of it, all of it. You know, FedEx Popes and Masturbating Bears. And uh, there's just so much that, that is ingrained in what I do. You know, but even little like Letterman is huge because Conan is the even more absurd version of Letterman. Um, and, and I saw Johnny Carson the last year as like a kid and that made a big impact on me. And I've since watched him and his ease, his calm, his something about the air that he walked on that I still, that I don't think that name, you know, uh, not to our generation carries much weight, but it, it's, it means a lot to me, but I'm a student of, of that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the one man show. Al Gore Memorial High School. That was that was the first thing that I got to see. From yeah, you. that was and, really. And I've kind of I've just kind of had this uh, this crash course on on all these things that Aaron Ross does in <laughs> these last few really weeks, weird. which has been it's been cool. It's uh, just because you know I've never had the pleasure of meeting you anywhere, and just to, to kind of dive into to all this work that you have over a short period of time has been been a cool uh, cool experience and. I love that the Al Gore Memorial High School one-man show was the first thing I got to see. Really? It's my favorite thing that me, I've seen. Me too. Um, I was just so blown away. Thanks. Yeah. It, I mean, you play 10 different characters, maybe well, five. 12. 12. Who's counting? Sorry. No. And, <laughs> and is it like, it's like six. It's seven live, five videos. Yeah. So in between the live characters, we'd, there'd be a video. And I would, uh, yeah, Al Gore Memorial High School is a one-man show where I play these dozen characters set in a fictitious high school that are progressively more absurd and absurdly more progressive. And um, it's kind of labor of love. It's where Ed Foreman started. Um, it was really my first chance. I, I started writing that show when I was like 23. That's not to say that for the past X amount of years that I've been sitting on it, I did it uh, in 07. So I started writing in 06, did it in 07, and I did it for like, a year plus and that that spawned the ed foreman show but it was like my first love was being at the time was i did six characters they were all live and they were as much variety as, as i could get within them whether i was a 
the Spanish home ex sex ed teacher, Miss um, <laughs> Jackson Hernandez, or play like so a southern good. woman, yeah, <laughs> or or it was, um, you know, or foreman or like a, a P teacher, whatever, whatever. Yeah, PCP teacher. PCP. That, that's a new um, a new one. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of one of the highlights for me. Thank you. And it was just also like very funny because. Uh, you definitely like called on me right away. I did. I, I didn't know. I didn't know who you were. And um, I was just absolutely blasted, baked when I walked in there. That must be weird to see and, that show baked. And they're like, "Hey, do you want to sit in the front row?" And I and I didn't. I just was just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna pert- like be the person sitting in the front row. I'll sit in the front. I don't care." Keep clapping, laughing. Yeah, and cool. then yeah, yeah. And then right away, except like, what is your truth? <laughs> And I wanted to like say that I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And I was just like, as soon as like right before you went on and the show started, I was just kind of sitting there in my chair, just, you know, kind of spacing out. And I'm just like, what am I really doing with my life? And just kind of having you're this. Already there. Yeah. You're already having an existential and crisis. Was, yeah. And I was having oh, this no. crisis and I was going to like, I like wanted to say it, but I just, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't brave enough for some reason to just be like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. It's funny. <laughs> the next week, that's what the guy said. I really? kid you not. That's amazing. So to give context to it, the, in this show, uh, the, the opening character um, was a PCP teacher, politically correct physical education. Amazing bit. Um, where uh, instead of warming up with jumping jacks, or as he calls them, jumping thems, uh, or, or push-ups, it's loving hugs and <laughs> compassionate trust falls. These are the sort of things that are now in PCPE. Yeah. And instead of um, being harassed because you're not moving fast enough, the catchphrase that he has is, uh, non-participation is a form of participation. <laughs> you receive a gold star whether you participate or don't, which is a conundrum for a gym teacher, especially one that has the appearance of a drill sergeant but is, is, believes in you in every way but also believes if you don't know if you believe that that's an okay answer. That was a hard thing for me to do as an actor because I'm supposed to have my direction. He was so accepting. I, was, I actually, I think on your night, had the most trouble kind of telling everyone they were, you know, unique snowflakes. And then I was like <laughs> sort of lost track because he, he, he's supposed to just say yes to everything and not move it along like my brain wants to make it do. But he, he asks right off the bat for people to tell, oh, he tells his truth. His truth is that... Uh, um, he's uh, small on the inside, and because of that, he uh, 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 is big on the outside to cover up the fact that social connections fear him, and they're rooted from his daddy <laughs> issues that his counselor told him. And then he's let's. He wants to know what your truth is. You, you know, enhance my personhood with your truth. Yeah. And yeah, you were like. Uh, you gave me a gold si- star. Though. I gave you a gold star because silence is is. A form you know, of participation. Form of participation is also a form of protest, and I understand if you'd protest this <laughs> archaic form of uh, physical enlightenment, the body is is not even necessarily a real thing. I heard that from the philosopher Jim Carrey, and uh, Dude, I, I'm riffing. Did you right watch now. that? Did you watch that documentary that Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman? Uh, yeah, I didn't like it. Oh, okay. No, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> I didn't like it, which blew my oh, mind. Man. Jim Carrey was inspiration growing up. Andy Kaufman. Yeah. I felt like I was the kid that got Andy Kaufman and people, people, I mean, first of all, I clearly wasn't a lot really alive to see Andy Kaufman, but Comedy Central would play these old specials, you know, that kind of like uh, in memoriam, uh, Reverend, and I was blown away by him. And I saw Man in the Moon and loved it. When I saw what Jim, K- this is the Netflix special, right? Yeah. Jim and Andy or Andy It's a Jim. recent documentary that they put out. I didn't like it. 
What did you not like about it? Just Well, look, just, we're talking about being in character yeah. and having to be in the moment. And I thought that Jim Carrey's ideals of having to be super method and basically shit on everybody that as Tony was Clifton. Around. First of all, Tony Clifton is bullshit. Brutal. And it's like Andy Andy Kaufman's idea of Tony Clifton is not what Jim Carrey's is. Or his co-writer Bob Zamuda, um, yeah. who's a, who I saw Bob Zamuda do it at the comedy store in like 2012. He did a revival. And I didn't like that either. I'd played a guy like Ed Foreman that was a piece of shit, but he didn't use racial slurs to like, because he could. Yeah, for sure. You know, being a button pusher doesn't mean being disgusting. Or, or really, you can be ba- a bad person and still be endeared to the audience just because you're a piece of shit. You don't have to make them feel bad. That's just my take. And what Jim Carrey did with a lot of the stuff with Andy Kaufman, I just don't, I think was his, I- the film shows it. It's his issues on display. Right. He took his issues into Andy Kaufman and made a new Andy Kaufman. But when Andy Kaufman, Tony Clifton was a social experiment. It wasn't to make people feel bad. Um... And I don't think he ran him through the street or, or with the makeup artist or the whole thing with, with um, um, the wrestler. Uh, oh, with Jerry Lawler? With Jerry Lawler. <laughs> Andy <laughs> pushed that and Jerry shit pretty, Lawler pretty deep. <laughs> we're in cahoots together. Yeah. Jim Carrey shit on the poor guy so he could kind of method it and make it more real. But that is unnecessary. I, so I didn't like it, which is, you know, I mean, I'm not as talented as Jim Carrey, but, but, but. I wouldn't do that, and I feel like I could create the sort of things that he was creating or Kaufman had created without having to hurt other people. And and um, and you know, and Andy Kaufman did did Carnegie Hall, and and the spectacle. When I watched him carry do that, he had this sort of psychosis he was pushing behind the character, with his eyes always bugging out a little. There wasn't this glint of a smile like I'm I'm getting like like ooh this trick I'm getting like I have a secret. Andy it, it, Jim Carrey played it like. I don't even know what. He was putting his issues behind, and I didn't enjoy that. And I thought what made Andy Kaufman brilliant was that he went outside the boundaries, experimented, but I think in his heart wanted people to be happy. And that's what, that's what happened after the women wrestling. The reason he went to Carnegie Hall and had the rockets and a choir and, and glitter from the ceiling and took people to milk and cookies afterwards is because he realized he kind of went too far, and he was like, I want people to have a good time. That's what I get behind. For so, sure. No, sorry I, to go on a, a tangent, but no, I just watched great. it and I couldn't believe that I didn't like it because I'm supposed to like it. No, that's a that's a. I uh, I appreciate that perspective on it. I think kind of broke my heart to be honest. I I was just uh, I think blown away by a lot of the the nuggets that that Jim Carrey was dropping, like some of the some of the truth he was. Oh, he I was think dropping that the Jim Carrey like, that's getting interviewed now. Yeah, is very interesting. Yeah, because he's honest very about what was happening and just mm-hmm. very. I don't know his his views on uh, on life and just that whole period of his life of being like the rock star superstar celebrity and and how he feels about that that time was obvious like like you said he was working all that shit out through his characterization of He's, Andy Kaufman and I think he said every movie he was yeah wherever he was in life he was putting into his movies so it was kind of for better or for worse if it if times were good they were good if they were sad for Eternal Sunshine what did Michelle Gondry said you're you're so hurt. This is beautiful, uh, but I need you to stay hurt yeah, for a year. Yeah, you need year, to stay broken. <laughs> and you stay broken for a year. Yeah. A year. And then Jim Carrey, of course, was like, I, the, 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 this is the Kurt Cobain idea of art, which is if I'm not broken, I might not be able to replicate the brilliance I had. That's scary. Uh, yeah, and the same with uh, people that are afraid to maybe get like sober if they ha- or like if they have serious 
drinking or like drug habits. That's they get, they just get real, a bummer. They get real scared about leaving that shit because they don't think they're going to be talented anymore. That breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, when I when I've heard that stuff, it breaks my heart because I adore Kurt Cobain and Jim Carrey, and it it's like, oh my god, and and maybe I can't reach those insane heights. Maybe they did, but I I don't know. You know, I. I, I Maybe not. Maybe I, I. But I don't want to go that route. And I, I stopped drinking two and a half years ago, and the best decision I ever made. And I let me just tell you and listeners that there is no finer way to be an artist, especially to do comedy, than to have a clear, fucking head. Yeah. Just, it worked for me. I mean, I've never been more productive, and I think create created more interesting humor, whether I'm as myself or as a character. And you're just not like relying on that as a crutch. Like, oh, I need to have a couple oh, yeah, drinks for to get nerds, loose before right? I go out there, you know? For sure. You're just, you're just being, like, you. Just being. Yeah. I mean, which is a carry enlightenment, sort of. Yeah. Except by the end, remember what he said at the end of it? He just what said, he I don't want to do anything. So to, I'm paraphrasing. He's basically, like, saying, like, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do It's like, oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. He's just talking about basically how insignificant, like... <laughs> like a life can be and whatnot so i completely subscribe to the others you know uh and i'm ha- and, and i'm happy to be in that you know i mean why not be positive and productive and help other people and you know i mean there's two ways to do it like but this life thing uh, you know when he's lived a hundred lifetimes so right. i think he can say that it's depressing if it's like you know your younger brother gets out of college and says that it's like hey yo terry maybe maybe there's more to live for yeah, and it's also, I don't know, to see a guy of that, of like Jim Carrey's status, continue to try to, I feel like, you know, amongst like all that shit, he's also been somebody that's been very encouraging of people to go live their their dreams and mm-hmm. shit, you know, like to to not be afraid to fail, you know, and he talks about that, he does like talk about, about, about that, his dad, like failing at his accountant job, like and getting fired from that, so you like might as well fail doing something you love and i appreciate all of that yeah i think he just lived a lifetime uh like many 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 lifetimes of it and it's probably just doesn't have any energy left to give and he's and he, and he is wise and, and i'm sure he'd be to- totally okay with people disagreeing with him yeah. and certainly i can't relate to the money to the fame yeah you know i'd love the chance and he's always talked <laughs> about that how like he wished that like everybody could have all that so they could see that that's not like the the answer to happiness and whatnot. No, I'm glad that it didn't come. I mean, you know, I, I, I I'm in this sort of place where I believe that the success will come with the hard work and the skill. Um, money to me is is so that I could keep working more. For you know? sure. Uh, as long as I can kind of eat and be, you know, I don't need material, you know, material possessions or anything <laughs> like that. But um, I just, um, yeah, I just I just want you know people to see. It, you know, you just want the, like the platform, but I, but I'm glad that it didn't come at something like early twenties because it, I think it, it, I mean, it's easy to get into vices and, and yourself. I think in my age now or whatever it could happen, I think I'll have a lot more of an adult perspective to deal with those sort of things. It's hard. I mean, life's hard in, in general. Yeah, dude. You know, everything else that could come with it, like those things like fame and money and et cetera. I think about that a lot because I was so eager, like in the late teens and early twenties to achieve some sort of success in the music world and uh i'm i'm very glad that i didn't like to a certain degree just because because of those things because i don't know how i would have handled those things if they were if that was how it played out i'm not sure be. i would have been mature enough 
to do so possible right where to, yeah where you know now like if you if you got that now you, you would be so appreciative and hopefully be able to manage that in a in a very productive way well i've lived i've lived poor for so long i didn't come up poor but once i decided to do this for a living you know i i well, here's what I have in my pocket. I have two Oregon Trail cards. <laughs> They're both expired, but I realize you can use them for theater discounts, and so I'm going to do that. But um, <laughs> I have two, right? You know, you can see them. But, but the point being, like, it's good to have experienced that. The perspective is good. Um, yeah, so, but, I, but I would take uh, the money now because yeah. I would like to make sure that every meal was accounted for from here till the end. And I would love to have the money to put into projects to art, you know. Yeah, absolutely. To, to never have to beg friends for their time. I think that's the other gift from it too. If I, if I, when I get a, a late night talk show on television or whatever platform it is or whatever it ends up being, the ability to your, have your talented friends get paid for. You get to bring them up with you. Yeah, that's that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the hip thing. hop like that's the yeah. true mentality. Like that's we, right. all, we all come up together, and I subscribe to that, and I would love to have all those people you know, with me. And there's been a lot of loyalty. It takes a village, all this stuff, you know? Absolutely, yeah. man. Um, yeah, I, think I just said like 18 bumper sticker catchphrases <laughs> in the past, like two minutes. We diverted so far away from your one man show. I apologize. Okay. But, no, no, uh, no, Paul. I like this format. I, I get to, you know, we were talking before, before we mic'd up, you know, with who's the Ross, uh, the talk show, you know, you get like 10 minutes, maybe 15. And that's only because we're live at Dante's. You know, if it was on TV, you get like seven. Right. You know, um, I like the ability to, tan- you know, go on tangents. Let's have, let's have fun. Yeah, man. Neither um, one of us is short on talking, that's for sure. <laughs> the one-man show, though. Yes. Uh, can't say enough good things about it. I'm sorry that people cannot see it any well, longer bring, at the moment. I'm going to bring it back. Sweet. I mean, I ended that run. You know, it was it was... One of the hardest projects I've had I've ever taken up, and it came back because a friend of mine I ran into, a kid I used to teach, I went back to Wilson High School, my high school, and taught improv for a couple of years, and it generated a high school, a pair of high school sketch comedy troops where kids were 15 to 18, and they were opening for my groups, and they were writing their own material. It was a brilliant oh, man, experience. That must have been very cool to, so to cool. see that. And it's cool to see what they do now, some, some performing, some not. My co-writer... Jordan Palladino for who's the Ross for Training Wheels, the sitcom that I do. You know, he was one of those kids. Um, I ran into one of the kids. He he was showing a movie that they had shot, um, Bad Exorcist. Alex Knapp is his name, and and I I went and saw his movie. And it was amazing. I was just so impressed by this. You know, kid I had taught. I was so proud. And like the first thing he said was like, "You got to bring back that one man show." I, I like I was like, "I'm coming here for your project. Tell you how great you are." And he like. I don't know what it was. It could have been the whiskey or maybe I just hadn't seen him in a while, but he was like adamant for an hour. And this was like, I don't know, September, maybe the end of August. And I just, I just jumped on it. I was like, I better bring that one man show back. This kid says I have to bring it back. And then, um, I, uh, I booked the space body Vox, which is actually, we're in my apartment building. Yeah, I realized that that was a very door. convenient location. Convenient. Well, it's on the block I live on, <laughs> on Northrop awesome. and 17th, and I just didn't want to be late. <laughs> and it's a beautiful space, and I wanted to up the ante of the space. It was very cool, man. It was very cool. And so um, I looked at the characters I'd had before doing the show a decade earlier. And over the years of the Ed Foreman show, I had procured another two dozen characters. So there were things to choose from. And, and wrote 
new ones. Uh, and my director, Brian Cook of Blitz and Trapper, the band Blitz and Trapper, Brian's their drummer. He's an amazing theater actor, television actor, comedic actor. He took on the directing, and he was just amazing. And I brought the characters to him, and we worked them out some over the course of a couple weeks, and we would do directing sessions in his kitchen. And then in, their, in Blitz and Trapper's rehearsal space, odd small rooms that you're one man and you're just like barking weird stuff to your friend that's sitting there with a notepad. Yeah. It's, you seem like you're losing it in the moment, but it was such a great experience. And yeah, that show came to stage, I guess, in two months. That's just kind of hard to believe, but it was such a joyous experience. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done as far as putting together a show. Um, and I know I'm going along with all this, this idea, but it was a weird thing where people didn't show up at first and I was surprised because, because doing Who's the Ross every Tuesday, having a decade plus of professional comedy performance, I just thought people will show up to this because I knew it was the best thing I'd ever done. Oh, they'll show up and it's different and it's on the weekend, it's not Tuesday and it's a good time and the theater's clean and, and people just like weren't showing up for three weeks. They showed up, but it was like 35 people first night. I thought... 35, whatever. It was 35, 25, 35 were the numbers. And I was losing money hand and foot from all the money I put into it. The theater rental, the video production, the, et cetera, right? Yeah. So I put out a plea on Facebook that sort of said, I need a It's a Wonderful Life miracle. Like, if you support art in general, but like, just for me in this moment, I promise it's great, but I really need you to come through. And then we sold out the last night. And it was like, we had 140 people there. And it was one of the most joyous things I'd uh, ever done on stage. Uh, it was really cool. So, um, so I did it, and then I couldn't believe that I was done once people found out about it. And then people said what you said, which was like, the worst part about going to the show is I can't get more people to go. And I was like tempted to put, I was tempted to use Thanksgiving weekend to put on one more. But I was convinced by my inner circle, like, don't disappoint yourself. Don't have, because of the holiday weekend, a subpar crowd. Yeah, just sold out. It's such a hit or miss. So I'm going to bring it back, hopefully, uh, January, February, and do a couple weekends. And I have an extra surprise for people that I think will, I hope will, if you loved it before and you, you thought it was great and you were very complimentary, I hope that the next time you see it that you say, I've never seen a finer work of comedy and stage. Because I think the thing I'm going to do, which I can't say, yeah. Um, I just think people will walk away like I've never been so joyous. That's what I want. And I, I've got an ace up my sleeve. I honestly wanted to come back the next week to see it again. Like I, I could not, but I wanted to. Like well, I think that's cool what thing, I walked away from that experience with. I think the cool thing for that show, which we haven't discussed, we've talked about the characters or some of the humor, but, the, but, but what we didn't mention when we were saying PCP teacher and then asking you for your truth is the whole show is interactive. Right. It's not like a murder mystery interactive where like, you know, like I'm always like coming into your seats with you and like, but these characters, it's not monologues. I'm not just speaking at you or it's with you, but it's like, it's not just, it's you, people come up almost every bit on stage and shape where the characters yeah, go. I have a skeleton involved. for them, but what you do will change the night. Um, whether it's PCP, my southern sex ed teacher, uh, uh, my rapping guidance counselor, my janitor, 
uh, who who doesn't have the use of his legs anymore because he, <laughs> he peed on so a power good. line. Which which I was ready for Portland to be like, this is unacceptable and sensitive. But when you see the character, listen, people, somebody can have um, uh, can be disabled, but also be a bad person, and he is that. He's a <laughs> Sort of lovably, dis- he doesn't have legs or a penis because he peed on a power line, and he's a dirtbag, but people seem to love Roy Hagee, the janitor that rolls around on a little board on wheels. So good. Yeah, he was the, f- he was the crowd favorite. Rashid and Elijah were like losing their minds. Rashid Jamal over- was there, yeah. who, is, who is you know a dear friend of mine, um, and what Mike Capes and Rashid Jamal, I try to say him in the same breath because I used to say like two kings of the Portland hip hop. Absolutely. Um, Rashid and I are dear friends. He's an amazing artist. That's just period. Uh, hip hop is only a part of what Rashid does, and he was crying. He and uh, his buddy Duke Elijah were, were there, and he told when he told me after that he was crying during that be- that bit. Uh, you know, he's not easy to get a, re- a reaction out of. So, no, and it's, I mean, that's a great compliment for you because you have so much respect for that person I, as like an artist and a person. Like you said, like Rashid is so much more than than just like a great MC. Like. When he came on this podcast, he like he changed he changed it for me. Like I was just like, oh, these are the types of conversations that I like. I've been trying to have. You know? Man, yeah, Rashid can get Rashid can get deep, which is which is doubly rewarding of someone that smart that can get deep when they get silly. Absolutely, for a person <laughs> yeah. like me that, yeah. that that their job is silly, you feel like, oh, I like I'm really doing my job when this person comes into my role and likes to play. Um, that was really. Rewarding it. And that was something that came from the show. I had never heard people say, uh, I was in tears. You know, I hurt. My abs hurt the next day. I knew I had something with that. And I was hearing that for the first three weeks when we weren't, when we were, had subpar houses. And I was like, what do I have to do? Which has been a basic feeling for me the past, you know, for, for a long time. I think that's every artist. But it has been to me. And in the past month, I've done a one man show. Still done a late night talk show uh, weekly, and also put out the second season of a sitcom. And I know it's too much, but I can't stop, so I'm gonna do it. But I just feel like, how do I? I believe in what I'm doing. I know that it's funny. How do I get you to this? Yeah, I think it's I think it's hard in general, man, just to get people to come out to something like sincerity's even- been working for me recently, which I didn't like giving away because you like. We, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can relate, but I'll just express, like, I know a lot of artists, like, you want to put out the, like, I'm killing it, and you tell people about the thing, and then they come to the thing. And I started just going, this means a lot to me. Like, when I said, like, I mortgaged my future to put on this one-man show and people came out, I guess that worked. And I, and I believe that they were reward, rewarded, you know? I, I felt that way, and I, it was one of those... Uh one of those posts towards the end that, that got me to be like, oh man, like I should finally go see what this dude Aaron Ross is about, you know? And like I showed up and, and I was, you know, like I didn't know what to think right. like when I was walking into this thing, you know? And, and I just, I rolled out so happy. That's all. I was, that's, I was just like, I, this was so fucking cool. Like I'm awesome. so glad that I got to see this go down. I mean, I, that's why I do it. Yeah. You know, that, that warms my heart. That's awesome. Um, and I just love the way that, you know, in between you switching characters, you had the, the video segments of the other characters. Yeah. If people want to see the live show, I've got to edit and you'll never get the experience like being there, but hopefully people can get a taste and then want to come the next round. Uh, but the video 
sketches, five different characters, including Ed Foreman, going into Office Depot to shoot <laughs> so um, a bit about his home educa- education <laughs> system, and then getting kicked out um, is in there, and my um, British female dog trainer, Barbara Kent Woodhouse, Crispy, Kent dude. Crispy, the, the handshake, uh, the world record holder for the most handshakes ever, Michael um, Starfinder, Michael Starfinder, who is a blind um, high school student that loves celebrities, and he, sp- he spots them, he can spot a celebrity. And he's so enthusiastic about him, but but he is he's blind. He has to use his hands to find them, and um, and I think it's really charming. Um, once it's another one of those things. I guess if you hear that, and you live in Portland, you might be like, "Shame on you for, you know, being blind." And but that's it was know, never man. poking fun. And and if you see it, I think you know that. It to me, it was about. He's an interesting character, and he part of it too is it just allows me to to have weird interactions with people that they you because i would i took him into the street and the idea is that he he asked people if he can find out what celebrity they are by touching their faces and then i find out which they are you know and and uh jake gyllenhaal and you know (laughs) danny devito DeVito and gwyneth paltrow and bruno mars and and um and that was that's one of my favorites and and uh yeah you can see that piece who's the ross.com is where you can find those that's that's yeah i would definitely encourage people to at least check out those those bits are super great. Yeah, they were they were really fun. I love the street. That's another thing. It's another theme in there. I love in Al Gore Memorial High School when I'm working off the crowd live. You notice that all the segments, predominantly that are the video segments, are in the streets of Portland yeah. with these people. Inter, you know, that interacting man on the street stuff. Yeah, and and getting or real human reactions on the street. I feel like yeah, yeah, human to be the PCP teacher, <laughs> human on the street, um, being on the street, um, and and I think that getting those reactions from people is is it just makes them real. I believe these people when I am them, and so that when you get to do it in the street, you, you get real reactions. But but the, they're all there. Also, none of it's malicious. It's all supposed to be really good natured. For sure, and. and- like we're obviously living in a pretty like PC culture, yeah. Right, right now, and um, and that's good. I mean, it's a byproduct of good change. Yeah, it's but it good. does make the art harder. But if the art's harder, but there's change, I'm happy to make art and challenge myself to do it differently. For sure. Do you do you feel good about doing like maybe something that's a little more edgier, as long as your intent is is good and not malicious? Um. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, look, if something offends somebody, you have to try to take that to heart and see why. People may also just not like what you do too, and that's okay. That should never discourage you from doing it unless it's like universal. Granted, if someone, if 100% of people don't like your art, then you're the disaster artist and you'll ultimately win. <laughs> but if 90% of people don't like your stuff or 80, you probably need to do something else. So, so if something, you know... I try to take that in account with everything that I do now. Younger me didn't because there was like the shock. I mean, when you're in your 20s as a guy, that's like shock's like inherent in your... It was also where we came from. The yeah, 90s man. was a bad shock. I, it was Howard Stern. I have... I mean, whatever. It's, it's not going to be a secret forever. But I have these... Uh, like a big deal for me in high school was I made these prank call CDs. <laughs> Yo, wait, you're telling... Have you never said this on on your podcast? I've never talked about this on my podcast because it's like not relevant to usually what we're talking well, about. Okay, that's true. You did jerky boys sort of stuff. I did that type of shit. Holy and cow. I, and like, 
you know, none of it had any malicious intent. But no. like, it's not like, it's not great. You know, it's not like. It's <laughs> How old were you? 14, 15. Yeah, we all were. I was 16. 12 to, to 16 or 17. I sold out of volume one. You did really? The first day at lunch. When are we, you from here? No, I'm not. Where, where are you from? I'm from Southern California. What part of Southern California? Uh, Riverside County, Corona to be specific. Okay. Uh, so. And they were popular there. In high school, dude. We, we would use a video camera to, ta- to record me doing p- these calls on a speakerphone. <laughs> and then we would rip the audio from that and then make those tracks. And we came up with like 12 or 14 of them. Wow. And we burned them to CDs and we sold them at lunchtime. <laughs> can we listen to them sometime? We can personally. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, keep them in the vaults as far as public consumption is concerned. <laughs> so I don't get crucified. I but, think that that's, but I mean, no. I think that that's very, by the way, uh, the Christians are going to get very angry with you for the, the crucified joke, but, um, which is okay. Those are the ones we can make fun of. Um, uh, yeah. I don't care, man. Like, like I said, there was no malicious intent. And no, it, it was like I was imitating stuff that that oh, I loved very much. Tricky boys, jackass, all this and stuff. Like, yeah, man. I, I mean, I made, I made some leaps. I, I, I have a fifteen-minute phone conversation with a priest, like wow. a Catholic priest, and I was just I'm, laying out like the dirtiest wow like, like talking about like some real immoral stuff wow. that i was dealing you were with. like doing confessions that were really wild like you'd kill the yeah. man or something not yeah more more like sexual stuff oh to like Lord. try to maybe make him See, uncomfortable what, oh yeah, yeah yeah you know and just so would you say something like i tried to s my own d and i got like, really close no, just like tr- really trying to fall into you know Catholicism and all the community and we've been trying to bring all of you know our neighbors together and our sexual experiences and just like really like and he was willing to hang man he hung on for like 15 16 minutes yeah just a variety of things I think that yours are uh, ahead of its time brutalist one I did yeah and one of the shortest I found another uh, person with the last name cable in the uh, yellow pages okay and I called and was just like, I think I'm your son. No. And this woman was just like, sounded like she was talking to a ghost. And like, she was just But like, the woman what? would know, right? What? I presume. Why would, why would you? Yeah, right? Like, I feel like was, I did that bit. But she was just like, why would you, why would you think that? And I was like, this is the number that the agency <gasps> gave me. And immediately, like, not even just a hang up, you just get like, the phone cord pulled out of the wall. Wow. <laughs> yeah. This Sorry is genuinely funnier than anything I apologize. I've said, so I apologize I'm, to that lady. Uh, she's okay. She, were probably, she probably looks back at it now. and No, she probably doesn't, but it's okay. But, dude, just those, those times with my friends every day after school or right. like maybe we would do a lot of them in the summertime when we were just trying to kill time. Oh, my God. Like to have... Anywhere from like two to like four other dudes in the room trying to keep their shit together while I'm trying to I, keep my shit together. It was just so like you have to send them in another room usually, so they could kind of or they'd have to pick up a phone somewhere else and like put their hand over the, the yeah. bottom of it. Yeah, and then we get like the call ends and there's just like cheering, like oh, amazing. everyone loses it <laughs> after that moment. That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting adapting that into either podcasts or. The com- comedy that, that I do now. I mean, that's 
that's still a root of it. I mean, the whole root of it is getting a reaction out of people. Yeah. The reaction is You laughter. fall in love with like making people laugh that hard. Yeah. You're just like, oh man, I'm, I'm creating this for everybody. There was a genius to it. It's a lost art. I mean, there was just a period, everyone having a phone or a cordless phone and not necessarily having caller ID or whatever, which is because by the cell phone, cell phone prank calls don't really work because everyone like sees the number. They just they don't, yeah, they don't pick up. Just, you it's go to voicemail more, and everything. Yeah, it's a little people more People heard that phone ring and they, someone only called them once in a while and then they'd go to it. There was something about, there was a, there's, a, there's probably a, like a 10-year romantic time of prank calls that... Yeah, something kind of magical. It seems stupid today, especially to anyone younger than us. But I, I think there's something really creative to that. Your stories are super creative, and I think a lot of like mine to avoid like having people call back. Like I called a lot of businesses. Yeah, me too. I did that too. You know, well, I feel like that there's less. I don't feel as bad calling Fred Meyer, right? And <laughs> asking them whatever random thing they had to go run and look at and find, you know, or like mispronouncing. Snickers, and then having to like ask if it was Snickers I wanted, but saying no, and then saying it your way. I mean, I, I just remember calling stores, you know, and having really random questions, and they would go along with it. Nowadays, I feel like they just hang up because they either A, know it, or B, people are just like, leave me alone. Yeah. They like had to back in the day. Yeah. And I think, I think at a certain time, like at a certain point with them, I was just trying to see how long I could keep these keep people on the, on the phone. Right. So we just have like, 10 minute tracks of me like on this woman like on the phone with this woman from the pizza place and i'm just like why are you even still talking to me like during your friday night dinner rush you're actually like fucking going with this whole thing that i found blood in my chicken wings like <laughs> these are good these are good this real is, ridiculous this is good um anyway I just finished, right before I came over here, I finished season two of Training Wheels. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I wanted to So I've caught that. up on all of the Training Wheels. Super. Uh, Training Wheels is, is your, your web series sitcom. Yeah, it's a sitcom that, that myself and my uh, co-writer, Jordan Palladino, created and, and star in. And it's, it's, it's the two of us, as ourselves, trying to create our talk show, Who's the Ross? I say we're good at dreaming, but bad at reality. You know, we're like all in on like a lofty goal of trying to create a late night talk show in your hometown at a bar. Yeah. But we aren't, we, we very unsuccessful at things like keeping a girlfriend or paying rent or uh, getting a driver's license or even learning how to ride a bike, which is something that my yeah, co-writer Jordan sure. still doesn't know how to do. <laughs> There's a certain dichotomy about being passionate about something that's big, but not being able to adult, not, you know, especially if you're in your thirties. And I think that our, I think that Portland relates to that. I think artists relate to that. I think you push those things to the side, like, you know, even trying to feed yourself or buying, you know, jeans where the zipper works just because it's like, no, my focus is this comedy show. Yeah, this man. is my focus. So we, pu- we decided to take the real life stuff that had happened to us and then fictionalize it and put it out as a web series. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy a lot of things about it, specifically in the pilot episode. You actually, like, there's some some knowledge dropped and there's that whole moment that you have with your your roommate about like I can't go get a day like I can't get a can't day go job. back I can't do this and and she like tells you that like you could like but you don't you want don't want to. to like you don't and I don't know that was that was a that was kind of a powerful thing for me man like I I just, I just appreciate that mentality very much and i think it is very hard when you 
when you do get to find yourself in your element and and be in those places where you can be like we were talking about and just being very present there's there's really nothing like that yeah it is a drug so it's hard to go wait tables again yeah and i've been lucky enough to not have to for a decade i ultimately will go back into some sort of um well i i'm prepared to go back into some sort of day job world in order to fund continued steps towards getting all of this to be a bigger reality um but yeah training wheels definitely um, if if Outlaw Memorial High School is the silly, insane, wild, but maybe more poking fun at society and and you know American culture, Portland culture, Training Wheels was our ode to being a Portlander, to being an artist, and showing sort of how hard it is um, and how stupid we can be in working hard. Um, and it was at a time where I want I was you know I adore Atlanta that Donald Glover made if oh, you've ever dude, seen it. Oh, that, dude, that was, that was my it. favorite show from last year. I Master can't... None. Master None. You know, um, and those sort of things was like, let's be ourselves. Let's double down on that, still create some absurd moments, but try to present something that, that's authentic of what, where we've come from. And we do, and every episode starts on Who's the Ross Late Night Talk Show. I always dig that. I do too. Uh, so I, it's it's a very, very uh, Seinfeld-esque almost. Seinfeld-esque. And yeah. we won't say the other person that used to do stuff like that because we don't say his name anymore. So um, very Seinfeld-esque. Or Larry Sanders' show. <laughs> Larry um, Sanders' yeah, show, man. Yeah, Shandling did. Fucking Shandling. That guy. Awesome, right? Amazing. So, um, so every time it starts on stage with us, which has really, I think, been a cool way to jump off every show. You get this 60 seconds of, of, of our late night talk show. And then you get us kind of in our weeks going through our lives and the sort of things that we come across. And in the new season, there's a lot of awesome stuff. I want people to go see it. Trainingwheelshow.com. 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 Cue it now. You can get rid of your who'stheross.com webpage. Just cue this up. Have it. So as soon as Dan and I are done, you can start watching the episodes. We just released five brand new ones. Five through nine are new. If you're new to the series, start at the pilot. And you have nine episodes. You basically have yeah. like two comedy movies you get to watch. Um... And in this new season, gosh, we, we auditioned to be the, our misadventures, if you will. Um, our, we go uh, audition to be the new Sonic guys. Dude. You know, the Sonic dorks. <laughs> that one's great. As that whole, like, homage to Full House. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've yeah. got the full of shit <laughs> is so our um, homage. Um, and you see, like, you, you meet, like, your, your female doppelgangers. I love that episode. That's, one, that's uh, one of my favorites of the new season. In that episode, we travel to Seattle to try to audition to be the Sonic dorks, you know, the dudes in their cars that say nothing. <laughs> um, so Jordan and I do that. When we go to Seattle at a casting thing, everybody looks the same as the casting sessions do. And we, we see our female doppelgangers. We end up uh, going out drinking with them and playing drinking games. And the, the heated the love for the competition turns into just love. And then, and you'll have to just see what happens. But I like the idea of the doppelgangers, the, the, the Sonic. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff sort of happening in those amidst us just being us. Um, what else happens that season? Uh, Jordan tries to make a sex tape. I that's host a, a, that's a, that's a good one. That's a really, Manny, Manny Payne from Skulldiver. Manny Payne of Skulldiver Skulldiver. is really inspired. In, I don't want to say what happens or what she does, but you just have to watch her deal with Jordan. Any woman dealing with Jordan is a treat, but Mandy dealing with Jordan is really... She's also just like real stunning. She's stunning. If that's like an appropriate... Yeah, I think that's, well, that's a I, kind I of think, way. You know, it's, it's her presence. She's, yeah. So when we cast her as... 
I'll say it. I mean, people who say she's a dominatrix. She's, she's all that comes in that she's that that Jordan thinks that he's getting a woman to make a sex tape with that she doms him out. And man, she's so grounded. You don't even see it coming. I ruined it for you. Spoiler alert. But you'll see it and you won't see it coming because she's just so grounded. Man, then when she takes over, it's not over the top. It's just no, real. No, she did a great job. And she job. said that this is, it was so far from who she is, but I just had this feeling about who she, her aura, that as long as she remained grounded, it was really a treat to work with her. So that, I host a tiny butt competition called Least Keys in the East <laughs> based on some experiences that I've had. We poke fun at Grimm on there. Um, which I really like our parody of it, and I won't say what that looks like. Um, Jordan joins a cult. Um, he moves in with me. We, and we take a more serious approach to some of it, too. I mean, there are some real wild, absurd moments, um, but there are things that have happened. I think the first and last episodes bookend with some of the ideas of when real life gets in the way of trying to do the show. And yeah. I tried our best to... to it, it, that last episode hurts me to watch. I, I'm curious from watching the last episode. I'm glad I got to see it bef- before I chatted with you. How how do you deal with going on stage and putting on the show when you are dealing with like something heavy in your personal life? Like, <clears throat> so Turning Wheels episode nine, the last one. When you guys check it out, trainingwheelshow.com. Uh, takes on sort of one of those moments like if something, if you could think of something that's real heavy that happens in your life, that whatever your job is, and then you have to go into work, how do you put that face on? How do you, not only do you put the face on, but you give it your all and have to make other people happy when inside you have something that you're wrestling with that's really hard. Um, It's happened a lot. It can happen a lot. It could be a breakup. It could be something with family. I have... When those moments have happened and I've had to go do perform on stage and do comedy, and we've all done it. Everyone's done it who's a comedian. Um, you try to do you just double down with it, but just do the best you can. Sometimes you're honest, you know. Um, maybe you say what's going on to the audience. I don't know that I have done that. I just think I've just, it's forced me to focus. Anytime I've had hardship in my life, I focus harder on the art. So that's how Training Wheels even came to be. I was dealing with something that, that is, I think, replicated a couple times in, in, in Training Wheels, and it was heavy and it hurt, and I just said, I'm going to make something. And, and getting on stage live is harder. Um, I, just, I, don't, I don't know if I have a recipe other than to say that I've just done it. And the hardest it ever was, maybe the one time that it really was almost impossible, I think, is in Training Wheels 9, and I don't know that you get to fully see that moment because we show you the moments before. We show episode nine is what we call the bottle episode. So we took from Atlanta, we took the idea of like, you're going to see 15 minutes in 15 minute time. You're going to see real time yeah. of, of what it was like to lead up into doing a show with everything going wrong. I can say that without spoiling it. I yeah. can say everything has gone wrong. <laughs> Our guests aren't there. I'm dealing with personal conflict. The building is falling down. And <laughs> you got your fucking dad razzing you. My dad's down there to give me, <laughs> give me hell. I'm not sure that my co-writer can even be a human being, you know, <laughs> and it's just overwhelming. Um, I put that feeling into that episode, but, but getting to the stage, you just let go the best you can and, and go. And, and then, um, and then most of the time the stage is then a savior. 
Most of the time, the stage is an escape from, from what's going on. The couple times it wasn't, it was hard, especially when you're looking out in the audience and you maybe can see the thing that's crushing your soul. I guess that lets people know that it's a human being. Right. Um, but it, uh, you just go lean back on your training. Could I have dealt with those sort of things in the first few years of being? If you ever dealing with those things in the first few years of being a comedian, I'm sorry. It probably you know, meant you drank a lot and you broke down. And God bless you if you had to. I just looked in the eyes of the person next to me and just focused on them. And there we, and we went on, but it's a weird, it's a weird experience dealing with, you know, personal hell and, and, um, and many, I mean, gosh, Patton Oswalt's, uh, wife had passed and, you know, he's put that on stage and, and, you know, obviously he took a break and, and whatnot, but, um, I think he said it too. Ultimately it all comes back to the art. Yeah. Ultimately it all comes back to stage. I mean, you let it, yeah, you either let it fuel you and, and drive you or you let it like bury you. I think. Yeah. And yeah. And I, no one wants to let it bury them. So no. God damn it. You yeah. know, we let it fuel us. Um, yeah. So that's where training wheels has come from. I really hope people get to see it. I mean, look, we, we made a fucking sitcom. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Like the things you see on TV, whatever your favorite show, what are you, what is your favorite thing to watch on Netflix or, or television? Oh man. Putting me on the spot that you, you mentioned Atlanta before, like Atlanta is, was probably my favorite like we could have called the show portland you know i mean yeah when that's why it's very cool like as as somebody that's very familiar with the city who either lives here or is just familiar with portland culture there's so many little nuggets in that like just the cameos like in that it's the pilot episode that has uh like the boone howard song starts playing and then he's in it boone is like one of the homeless guys i i i so rarely the certain level of honesty I get to have with you here is rare because I'm usually the host and it's like, keep it fun, keep it popping for the audience. We had a little divergence of serious moments, but a really cool thing in Training Wheels, you know, aside from the honesty and the humor is just like the Portland representation for someone that's been there their whole lives. And music is a huge part of my life and getting to see all these amazing artists. I'm going to go see Skulldiver after we're done tonight. I'm going to go try to see Nick B, a uh, hip-hop artist over at White, Owl, uh, White Eagle as well. There's an Owl There's a White Eagle. Owl too, which is... Kind right. of confusing sometimes kind of confusing. for people. Um, we came up with this really fun thing that started with Boone Howard and the Pilot, who's a, just an amazing artist who put out an amazing album where we wanted to use local music in the episode, but we said to those artists, hey, can we use your song in a montage? Typically, it's montages. Yeah. Uh, and then can we put you in it? For sure. And so Boone's uh, homeless in it, uh, you know, asking f- for money. Uh, and I sit down next to him, and then someone gives me money because they think I'm homeless, <laughs> was kind of the idea. His song is so great to the strife I'm dealing with is, can I carry on? Like, you know, I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have a job. What am I doing with my life is behind it. And but there's some. I mean, Rashid Jamal's in episode two. Uh, Kyle Craft's in episode three. Yeah. Um, we mentioned Mandy already. Mandy's and in there. Uh, Bud in. Wilson of On is in episode five as the casting director at, at the Sonic thing. Oh, Animal Eyes has a huge role in episode seven. I love Animal Eyes. Their last record was so fantastic. So their whole band is in it. Tyler Langham has a big role in it. Figley has a very bizarre role in it. Um, Leo London is in, of the Domestics, is in episode eight as a party master. (laughs) Um, Cos Poby, who people may not know, but is a dear friend of mine, is the character of Bill in it. 
So whenever you see the guy that in episode one is the guy, you know, you go in for an interview and he's like, hey, you're a comedian? I know funny. Let me show you funny. (laughs) This guy becomes a fan of our show and then just makes, I think he makes like seven guest appearances out of nine episodes. It's amazing. As the well-meaning, but but just like, you know, doesn't quite get it, but still well-meaning sidekick, if you will. Or and and so he is a musician and his music's all over it. In episode one, he does Club in the Club the hip-hop song behind the strip club montage. <laughs> uh, he uh, does the, the serious music in episode nine. I mean, it's there's so much cool stuff from Portland that's in this. And then, you know, Portland's Funniest Person, Joanne Schinderly, is my doppelganger in episode five. We've put so much love and thought and effort into these episodes. She's um, real funny. That I'm really proud of. And I think that... I think that whether you know us or not, I think you'll really dig it, especially if you're from Portland. You'll see so much of the city in the idea. And if you're an artist, if you're a comic, if you're a musician, seeing that struggle in there is really cool. Um, it was a labor of love. And, and, you know, and they're like 15, 20 minute out. They're like real deal sort of things. And, and uh, so go to trainingwheelshow.com, check them out. I'm real proud of it. God knows, hopefully we can get to do some more. Um, but yeah, they just came out on Thanksgiving. So it is very new and I'm very, I'm very pushing it. So I hope people get to check it out. Well, I appreciate your grind. Thanks, Just man. Just overall, man. Um, I'm sorry that it has taken like this long for me to get to hang out with you because hey, I, I, I find you to be just from watching from a, just the outside, um, knowing just like what it takes to you know produce just like a weekly podcast and make sure that there's an episode of this every Friday, and that's kind of just this bullshit commitment that I made to my myself initially, and now I feel like now I feel like it's a commitment. Like I've I've made the commitment, so right. I'm going to like I'm gonna do my best to make sure that there is an episode every Friday and I and I've done that and I and I've even acknowledged like in an intro of the podcast that I know that there there will probably come a week where some unforeseen circumstance happens and maybe an episode won't come out on that Friday and it probably won't be at the end of the world, but like I don't know. I just I appreciate all of your ambition and well, thank you. And I like just to see that you're doing the weekly show, and then on top of that, you're you know putting together these web series, and you're doing the one man show, and it's very inspiring. Well, uh, I am inspired by you too because I have I had bullshit ideas too. That's what you called it, and they were weren't to make money, and they were just for kicks, and then they were a job. So you know. Uh, the, the art happens, the passion moves us forward. And if we stick to it, you know, there's something pretty magical that can happen. I mean, in the city needs something like your work, you know, where artists get a platform to talk about their inspiration um, and what they put behind it. Cause I don't, people don't get to see it. And, uh, and that is a cool thing of podcasts is our culture. People didn't get to know what was behind stuff. And I think people are starting to learn that and hopefully it drives them to want to, listen and see the things that we create. Yeah. It changes, and you're giving people that platform. So that's awesome. It changes the way that I listen and, and view things. You know, when I get to hear somebody sit down for an hour and talk to like one of my favorite people, I'm just like, I watch all of their, their things much differently after that. Because I'm just like, Oh, now I have a sense of like who this person is and, and where that fire comes from. Well, I think that, I think it's okay. We traded, the jerky boys for some insight yeah. into, into art. I mean, that is really the renaissance of the past 20 years, I think, is that we've gotten rid of some of the more malicious or stupid or, or one-noted sort of ideas. Although I, I really 
do love, especially with the blood and the chicken wings idea. But but you know, a lot <laughs> we'll of we have to like, re-explore we, those. We we will we'll, let's we'll those are gonna find a home at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the fact that we can get the behind the scenes of artists now is is something that is big. That is at least one of the few cool byproducts of social media. Sometimes it's overwhelming and too much. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, damn. I mean, Matt, you know, imagine being the high schooler that was going to record the Jerky Boys stuff today. Yeah. For or whatever sure. his ver- whatever their version is. Right. And then now they can hear something like our podcast or, or whoever else is and go, wow, like I got the inside. We didn't get a lot of inside. We just watched people do it and tried to emulate yeah. it. I think there's something very powerful to that. And I think it inspires people. And the DIY nature of things is something that you and I very much have in common. I mean, you know, there wasn't, there's no ladder for this work. It wasn't like start here, move forward, you know, apply to this. No, apply, just do it and hope you can find an audience. Yeah. I think that's, uh, something that comes up in conversation for me, like pretty commonly amongst people that maybe are like supportive of what I'm doing and want to know like more about it. And it's just always kind of leads back to the, that whole thing of, there isn't a blueprint for this. No. And that's why it is so hard sometimes. And that's it. Sometimes it's, it's just hard to leap beyond that. Right. And find, find the motivation to do so. Well, it's great when we can see people that have done something and not to say that they have a blueprint, but at least you can get some reassurance in their hard work. Like, Oh, if I work hard too. I mean, that's, that's the moral of the story. Like first and foremost, like when you have a good idea and have a good idea first, but maybe they're bad ideas, but presumably they become good ideas the more you do art, music, Absolutely, comedy. Absolutely, man. But you got to drive behind them. You got to push, push, push. And it's never, ever, as I'm sure every musician who's been on your show has said, it's never, ever, ever a majority of the effort as creating the art. It is pushing the art. Be prepared to be your own manager, to be your own marketing person, et cetera, et cetera, to be your own producer, whatever those things mean to yeah, you. Yeah, you got to be the champion of your own shit. Basically. You got to find a way to love it. Yeah, be a champion of your own shit is a... <laughs> is, uh, you like that? That's what my... Ra- I watched Jesus and Marrow. That's what my rainbow would say above oh, my head. Man. I'm going to take that, your wisdom. Be a champion of your own shit. Dan said it. That's um, how I feel. How much longer is uh, can people go out and see who's the Ross at Dante's? I guess I heard a rumor that we're ending the first week of February. So I'm not going to confirm it's or just deny a rumor. that. So people should go, though. I it's think on so. Tuesday nights. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday at 9 o'clock. It's only $3. Which sounds criminal for me. Yeah, I uh, bet. But um, Dante's has <laughs> treated us really well, so that's how we get to do that. We've created something that I think everyone can go see. There's no monetary risk. Uh, look, if you've got to get up at 5 a.m. on a Tuesday, you're excused. But if it's 9 or whatever or 8, like, yeah. come down. The show goes to 11, 11.30. We have new guests every week for interviews. Comedy, music, it's brand new every week. I've done 700 plus. Uh, I think it's a real blast. I think people will think that too. And hopefully they'll get to see a lot more of it in the future on who knows whatever other platform. But yeah, I think we're going to wrap up at Dante's in February. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, This was a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. Very fucking cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, we end every episode of this podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is uh, it's a program, which means absolutely nothing. Wait, what is it? It's it's a program. It's a program. Which, yep. You you said it. That's it's it. It's a program. Yep. You're, you're doing I wanna it. I want to say be master of your own shit. It's a program. That was amazing. That was, that was killer. That's Aaron Ross, everybody. You need to check out Training Wheels. 
Check out the Al Gore Memorial High School stuff. Find everything at whosthross.com. Yeah, whosthross.com uh, and trainingwheelsshow.com. Trainingwheelsshow.com is where you can find uh, all nine episodes of our, our sitcom. And we, uh, we started the show with a track from Mike Capes. Shout and now we're going we're gonna to play it out with uh, one from Rashid Jamal, who we have mentioned a couple times on this podcast. And this is a jam called Blood Brothers. And you, you said that Rashid performed this a while back. Yeah, on, two on and a Ross. half years ago when I met him and invited him to Who's the Ross. And the way we do our musical guests is that they play with my backing house band. So the house band learns their tunes. Uh, and Rashid just loved it. And for a song like Blood Brothers, it fits really well. Like he, it sounds like live instrumentation. It's not just like 808s. And so um, that was like the first song he played, which, which now has just come out. Like it came in August on Indigo yeah, Child. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's the last track. It's, it's, uh, it's towards the end. Towards the end. If not the end. That's all right. We, we, no one needs to fact yeah. check us. I mean, it's just But they should, check out, they should check out Indigo Child. And check out Sankofa. Check out Sankofa for sure. I heard maybe there's another Rashid Jamal album coming out well, too I'll, soon. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Which, uh... Rashid can get mad at me if he wants. I don't know if I'm pulling a Tyrese about the, uh, <laughs> about the Beats by Dre. <laughs> He's a, Dre's a billionaire! That was so um, amazing. That was so amazing. Uh, I've heard the next record that he's going to put out. Oh, man. Now, I don't know what he's going to call it because he, he goes through different names. I don't know exactly what will be on it because he changes his mind a lot and he has a, a plethora of material. But I can tell you that as a hip-hop fan since I was 10 and I love the Portland scene, that Rashid's going to drop a classic record. I'm not talking about here or there as far as where it comes from. Yeah. I'm talking period. I'm talking when people talk about Illmatic or they talk about low-end theory or they talk about ready to die. Mm-hmm. The, the things he's saying, the beats that are on, the beats rhymes in life. The, the, everything behind this record is such a statement. And it's amazing because it couldn't come at a better time. It couldn't be more now in the message. It's just Rashid. It's Rashid, man. That's... But it will be timeless. I mean, in the tracks that are on it, He's really, love is the highest religion you can, you can purchase from him on the platforms, of the digital platforms. And I believe that song is going to be on there. And it's a, it's a taste of what, you know, however many tracks he puts on. I always say like, you know, 10, 10, 10, 10, no more than 12. <laughs> but he probably has 30. But it will be so, it will, it will it'll be timeless. And people should respect an artist that they're not going to get to go see for $5 at a place. They should get it while it lasts, people. That's all I'm saying. He's, go go yeah. see him before you see me. He's one of my favorite people to see live. And every time I see him, I have this I have this Fuji song that plays in my head, and it's Warn the Town, the Beast is Loose. And I don't know, man. He's just such a beast. He's such a beast. Yeah, so check out his music now, and then when he, there's more, and it's classics, you can say you was there. Absolutely. When it, when it started. So, uh, yeah, be master your own shit. All right. It's a program. <laughs> All right, everybody. This is, uh, this is Rashid with Blood Brothers. Check it out. Check out Aaron Ross. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland. Side, west side, west side, north side, north side.
south side till I die Creeping on the come up I feel the heat of the summer within my speech Higher degrees is what I wanted But college ain't really pan out Left me ashamed Working 12 hours a day and night I gotta get my fam out Moved around the homeless twice Struggled on the daily Repossessed, possessed and set me back But then they phased me Wonder what would life be Had it not been for the 80s Smoking weed and licking wicked spirits Drove my daddy crazy Now I'm drowning in this Hennessy bottle Flirting with models Thinking thoughts of revolution Journal empties full of sorrow and pleasure A very treasure that's the heart of a man Was a child, now I understand We got the upper hand And I'm just moving to the rhythm of the brain And I remember nights and I was working through the pain I live here, me pippin', I can never change For the glamour and the fortune and the fame We in the club night Damn homie, I'm so dope And I don't think I'm ever gon' drink no more And I don't think I'm ever gon' smoke no more But now I'm OT, gon' give me one more My nigga, what's the use of knowledge if we use it to suffer? Blucker, blucker, these motherfuckers dying dead like a sucker Nigga, what the fuck is you living for if you ain't my love and compassion Passing out some passion to the masses of you Say I cuss too fucking much, I'm out here passing the truth Just a man, I see them hoes and I be smashing them too Flippin' past a petty distraction, call the camera recoup Passing Africa, the savage, not a savage to shoot Suckin' traffic on the path that's packed with actors and spooks Put my faith in higher power, then you ask for the proof What's it I can ask for that and just come back and be cool Why the Phantom with a jag and some reality too Get enlightened, grab a lighter, get as high as the roof Impossible is possible, my nigga, I am the proof Unstoppable, my posse ride and then we count all the loot Sophisticated comes with patience, plus the science is true uh, And I'm just moving to the rhythm of the brain And I remember nights and I was working through the pain I live here, me pippin', I can never change For the glamour and the fortune and the fame We in the club life Damn, homie, I'm so dope And I don't think I'm ever gon' drink no more And I don't think I'm ever gon' smoke no more But now I'm OT, gon' give it one more and this is not a celebration, this is flagrant It's a breaking of the matrix and the hateful shit that makes it uh, Back to the basics, going crazy on the ape shit Kick the snare into the base and scrape his face over the pavement Longest awaited, the greatest of players Struggle for paper, not ladies, they rock the latest But later for that flavor, I pop it with the population Fuck cops, so cocky haters, I'm major But not a savior or a crusader Rather be violent than silent, rather be quiet than wildin' Don't try to pack us, my style of product for dollars A prodigal child, hypnotical style, methodical prowess Devils and products, I'm not from that crowd Singing it loud, young, black, and I'm proud Might be cracking a smile, but nothing's funny when you're down Homie, I'm asking songs, capacity's blown Damn fuck, I'm mad to the show, I'm passing along, come on I'm master the flow, so pass the patron Shouting your dome with status, I'll be back in the brome Be the first to leave the crib and then the last to be home Flipping scripts up in this bitch, I'm wearing rags on the throne Give a shit about your list, cause I'm a spaz in the zone From no skill, I'm from the south, but couldn't last where I'm from Super soaking with the vocals, supernatural songs With the passion of Machiavelli, giving back to the song and I don't wanna be here if I don't gotta And I don't want a female if she ain't proper And shorty, I'ma leave here with a whole lot of them dollars I'm just my business as a rider And I don't wanna be here if I don't gotta And I don't want a female if she ain't proper And shorty, I'ma leave here with a whole lot of them dollars I'm just my business as a rider Squad up It's a program.